you know, you'd be at home with dad and you're there sort of feeding stock every day. Same thing, I think for about, oh, I think it's about 400 days, every day was the same. We're just jumping on the mixer wagon and feeding these cows and you just think, geez, it would be good just to see cows sort of being cows, you know, being out in the paddock and, and just munching away and, and playing together and, you know, not just bellowing and, and wanting a bit of feed. But. I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, LAWD. LAWD are specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. You can find out more at their website or in the show notes, www.lawd.com. G'day and welcome to episode 56 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and this week I'm very excited to have Paddy Ward on the show for a chat. Paddy Ward's a Condoblin boy through and through. These days, he's probably best known for his work with Ray White in Condo. He loves his golf and is a proud member of the Condo Aero Club as well. As we'll dig a little bit deeper... There's a real sense of adventure about this boy from the bush, whether it's flying planes or chasing goats. Paddy's work, it's not about himself and from where I sit, it really comes back to being about his community and his people and he always does it with a smile. So, Welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast, Paddy. No, thanks very much, Ollie. Good to be here. First and foremost, mate, uh, we haven't seen you on the social media this week. So how's your week been and where, you, where have you been travelling this week? Oh, mate, this week's been great. It's been raining in condos, so I've been getting a bit of mud up the side of my car and um, just been going out to a few farms and doing a couple of inspections with the real estate gig and, um, yeah, just been getting about town and seeing a few farmers with smiles on their faces and uh, the cheeky pub feed uh, is, uh, yeah, is a must-do on a rainy day. Yeah, right, so you've been in there all day, every day. It's a bit, bit of a different place to what it was a couple of years ago. I remember coming through at the end of 2019, uh, yeah, in the, the midst of the drought, and it was looking pretty ordinary around your area. How, how's the town yeah. changed from, yeah, just in those last couple of years? Oh, look, the confidence swing's unbelievable, you know. Um, oh, I just remember driving back from our little little lease block we've got out west, and um, I was sort of in front of this dust storm, and it's coming at me from behind. I'm trying to get there before it sort of got to me. <laughs> anyway, it hit and you couldn't see anything. It was just red dust. I thought, geez, can it get any worse? And uh, that was sort of the end of 2019. And uh, I think it was about February 2020, it started to rain and, and things started to get a lot better. And yeah, just the, the attitude in people was just amazing to see the recovery and how quickly it sort of recovered, you know. Um, uh, like, just, I keep talking about real estate, that's what I'm doing now, but. Um, no, that's you know, right, we were, mate. We were, Speak to what you know. We were, yeah, like we were um, selling like a house of every couple of months in the drought and now we're selling a house a week or more. And it's just, I think that shows it pretty well. And there's new people coming into town. Uh, you know, there's, there's people employing uh, our farm hands again and things like that. And there's young families coming to town. It's just great to see. There's water in the lake here again. You know, we had no water in the, in the ski dam here for two or three years and you just don't get that income coming into the town and it's good to see now, yeah. Did you ever, like during that drought, start to think as much as you love condo, it's not the place for you and, and start to look at jobs elsewhere or different industries or whatever it might have been? Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, you'd be at home with dad and 
you're there sort of feeding stock every day. Same thing, I think, for about, oh, I think it's about 400 days. Every day was the same. We're just jumping on the mixer wagon and feeding these cows. And you just think, geez, it would be good just to see cows sort of being cows, you know, being out in the paddock and, and just munching away and, and playing together and, you know, not just bellowing and, and wanting a bit of feed. But that's how it is now. It's great. It's good um, now. And, um, yeah, I think uh, to, to answer your question, like I was looking at other realms to get out, to get off the farm, you know, to, we were selling all of our livestock and um, I had to look at other avenues and that's when I started this gig at, at uh, Ray White in Condobla and, yeah, I, I said I'd go back to the farm when it rained but I'm sort of enjoying it so much and I, I get to see farmers every day and a lot of different setups so I think I'll keep doing it for a while. Leave your dad waiting. I want to um I want to touch on that. So yeah, obviously a farm boy. But whereabouts was your childhood? Has Condo always been home, or where did you grow up? Yeah, so um, yeah, I grew up on a family farm northwest of Condo, uh, a place called Mount Hope or or No Hope, as a lot of people like to call it. Um, <laughs> what did you refer to? Yeah, so that was <laughs> no, it was um, oh look, it was the home of the goats. I think you know um, it's. West of Condo, about an hour, and we grew up out there. I went to school at a place called Uablon West. It was a little uh, 15 kids school, uh, one teacher, and I was the only one in my year the whole time I was there. And, uh, you know, we'd get on the school bus in the morning, be an hour and a half in the school, and hour and a half back, but it was plenty of time to play the Game Boy and that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, from there, I think yeah, we went off to boarding school. Uh, my sister, my brother and I, and, you know, the, it was sort of back in the millennium drought. Things were getting bad then as well. But luckily we had, um, oh, we had feral goats. So I guess you can say that the feral goats paid for our boarding school fees. Uh, and that was the case for a lot of families out there. I think, uh, you know, we just sort of made do and, uh, yeah, they were, they were, it was lucky that we had things like the goats and, you know, a few sheep here and there to keep us going. Was your boarding school, where were you? You were in Bathurst or somewhere, weren't you? Yeah, I started off at Bathurst at All Saints College and then when the drought sort of hit bad, I went to uh, Hurlston Ag in Sydney. Yeah, right. So that was a bit different to old Yablon West where I went to primary school. But, um, yeah, look, it was a big change. I met a lot of people and, you know, I still, uh, the people... I went to school with and all things I'm still really, really good friends with. So, yeah, like it's it's just all about that network and meeting people from from all across Australia, I guess. Yeah, and you had a few more kids in your year too, by the sounds of it as well. Yeah, so <laughs> I went from being the only one. Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, Go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au 
and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. I've been one of about 250 at Sydney, so that was a bit, um, a bit wild. Yeah, absolutely. With, um, with everything that was happening back home, the millennium drought, I'm guessing your, your school holidays were spent chasing goats, but was agriculture and, and back home in Condo where you wanted to be? Or, or yeah, kind of what did you want to be as you were growing up? Well, as we were growing up, yeah, it was bloody dry a little bit of time and you, um, you're sort of thinking, oh, is this what I want to do, you know? But uh, you'd come home to school holidays, you'd be stick picking, you'd be fencing um, and then you'd jump on the motorbike and, you know, you'd go round up a few goats or something and then you go back to school back in Sydney and just think, oh, geez, I just want to be back out on the farm again, you know? Uh, and I think from there, people don't realise what they've got until they don't have it, you know? They, you go back to Sydney and and you're off the farm and you just sort of want to get back there after a while. You're sick of the rat race. And, uh, it's probably a bit the same as now, you know? We're out here and sort of free of the whole... Uh, you're not free of it, but you, I guess you're sort of sheltered from the from the things going on in the world. Yeah. Do you think that's a, a blessing or a curse? Do you feel disconnected at all? Oh, look, I've always gone by the slogan of more scrub, less people. Uh, <laughs> look, <laughs> it is. got tattooed, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not quite, but uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's great. And I can have my mates out from Sydney and we can go out and, you know, go around the farm, have a bit of fun. And uh, look, I, I, that's the sort of things you cherish. It's good for the mental health too. You can get out there, a couple of mates, and just forget about everything else and just enjoy sort of what you're doing, like sitting around the campfire uh, or, you, yeah, just round up a few goats or something like that, yeah. Yeah, get out of reception and, and get everyone away from, from the rest that's of the right. world. That's right, yeah, yeah. And so finishing school, I, I don't know, was we met at Sydney Uni um, in 2000 and, what year, 2012. We're... Did you have a bit of time off between school and, and ending up going back into studying or, or what did you get up to? No, so I went straight to uni. Um, I started doing ag economics and did that for a little bit in Sydney Uni there and then I went up to, I uh, decided the city wasn't sort of my thing so I ended up going up to University of New England at Armidale uh, doing agribusiness and oh, that was great up there. Um, like if I'd recommend it to anybody looking for somewhere to go, you know, just a bit of a, I guess, country style university with um, like-minded people. Yeah. And um, I want to um, I want to ask on the Sydney Uni front because I think we were in a pretty similar predicament, or maybe I was, I was worse off than you. But so that decision to move away from Sydney was it purely just based off uh, wanting, yeah, wanting to get out of Sydney as such, or was there other kind of motives? behind studying ag and you wanted to get back in a rural community for it? Yeah, I think it was mainly the rural, getting back into a rural community, you know, like you're in Sydney and getting parking fines and, um, you know, money's going out the window, just silly stuff. And you just want to sort of get back to the land and make it a bit more simpler, you know. Um, I think a lot of my friends were in Sydney and it was actually... Oh, I was with a fellow called Max Hogan. I was sitting in the lecture theatre there one day and oh, I think it was business stats or something like that. And he, we walked out for the break and we sort of having a, having a yarn there. Max was like, you speak of Sydney or what? <laughs> you think of this place? I'm like, yeah. 
not real good. And then I think we, we called one of Max's mates that was up at um, Armadale at, at UNE. And he said, oh, what's it like up there? You know, is it any good? And he said, oh, yeah, it's bloody awesome. You better come. And I think I think that night we got on the computer and we um, we looked up the colleges up there and we said, right, oh, we're doing it. And then we both applied. We got into different colleges, but we still went up there and had a great time, yeah. And uh, what was it about? That was So that was the turning point, I guess. I was just sitting in that business statistics lecture and, yeah, got up and walked down and said, bugger this, let's do something else. Jeez, I think, <laughs> yeah, that happened to me third time around. Three semesters of business stats and uh, yeah. I, I decided it wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's hard going. While you're at Sydney Uni as well, so... This kind of goat evolution thing was happening in the background, and and you mentioned it kind of during the Millennium Drought. But like goats weren't worth much money. I don't think like they're worth a bit of money, but nothing. Yeah, like n- nothing like to today. See. No, they might they might have been thirty or forty bucks a goat. Um, yeah, now they're four or five times that amount. Um, were, they, were they just running rampant at like at home? Because you started when you were at uni, didn't you? You started to look at different forms of income, and yeah, yeah. So uh, while I was at uni, I had the opportunity to lease a place next to our family. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. It had no fences. It was just like this rocky hill. and uh, Everyone was like, what are you doing, you know? Um, and I thought, well, it's got plenty of goats on there. Or we'll, at some stages, they come and go. So I thought if I could get out there and find a way of getting them all in and rounding them up and I could pay the lease and bit of extra income and then continue to work on the place and yeah so that's what I did uh, I I went out there and I've done I mustered them every way possible I think I've sort of I started off trying to trap them around water in the summertime Didn't uh, and, well it, it did but you'd never get the big billies or the smart goats they were they were we'd have these trap gates some billies would push through but the others would sort of balk at them and then we'd have these ramps next to a fence like you'd, you'd um, get a tractor and put a mound of dirt up against the fence so the goats could jump in but they couldn't jump out yeah right. so that was one way would that and, be successful yeah it wasn't too bad uh but you could only trap them in the summertime because that's when they're coming to water and you couldn't trap them in a wet summer because the water's up in the hills and they didn't have to come to the dams uh, and then we sort of got into the got a helicopter to come uh, a couple of times, and that was pretty cool. Like it felt felt like a ringer from the top end, you know, the, the helicopters above you, and you're on the motorbike on the ground. You're like, where the hell are the goats? He's like, they're just in front of you, mate. Uh, you can't see anything from the scrub. And so, how did like at, at this stage, what age were you? So you've, you've taken on a lease kind of at uni, so you're fairly young, early twenties. Yeah, I was. It's about 21. No, no, yeah, about 21. I took on the lease. Yeah, right. and, um, Do you ever think there was a big risk in it? Uh, well, yeah, for sure, but everything's a bit risky and you sort of just got to, if you've got an opportunity like that, you just got to take it, I think, and work it out as you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you're, you're flying by the seat of your pants and you're, you've got a helicopter in so you've gone from just having a little lease block, which you and a few mates or, or your cousins and whatnot were poking around on motorbikes. Then all of a sudden you've got a helicopter. So the business is obviously stepping up a notch or two. Yeah. And I think that stuff just became readily available 
successful it has become now because there is so much money in goats. You know, there's people with two, three helicopters and they're mustering contractors and they're doing it every day. You know, they're probably out there now getting ready for tomorrow morning. But uh, I think it's just such become such a big industry. And the best thing about it, you know, uh, as long as it's a goat, you get paid the same price per kilo. If you went to the sheep yards or the cattle sale, they're, you know, every, they're all cows and they're all making different prices per kilo. In the goat market, as long as it's a goat, <laughs> a goat's a goat. it's making the same money. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very interesting in that regard that there's no such way of grading them yet. Uh, like that's in, that's in rangeland goats, feral goats, anyway. Because it's an interesting thing. Like, I remember I was oh, 13 or 14, and we went out to Cobar with some family friends, and yeah, they're just trotting along the side of the road. Um, but like this, yeah, goat evolution, like it's. The, the markets are opening up overseas and it seems like there's it, it's nearly an industry that's come that's something out of nothing um where are you guys really focusing on it as an opportunity or has it kind of started to fall by the wayside a bit for you no no so um we've been using fencing and um we used to just sell everything you know any goat you get you sell but now it's all about retaining your, your nanny goats and your kids and um you know, actually half managing them. Uh, I don't manage them full time where I'm out there changing, you know, mustering them into different paddocks and all that sort of thing. But I just let them roam and I just don't sell nannies anymore or not as much as I used to. I sell the billies and, um, yeah, so I guess I'm not taking as many off as I used to, yeah. just letting them breed up. And they've, um, yeah. the income's been pretty handy for a number of reasons, but. One of them was it, it helped put you through your private pilot's license. Yes. Was was flying always a dream or was it just one of those opportunities that opened up? Oh, look, it was always a dream. Uh, my grandfather flew planes. My dad hated them, but um, oh, well, he hates them. And my granddad said, look, if you ever get your plane license, I'll buy your plane, <laughs> you know, and you can, you can fly me out to the farm and that sort of thing. So I said, right, oh, deal. Anyway, I think about three months before I finished it, my granddad died, and I said, "Oh, geez, who's going to hold up this deal?" And he, you know, he basically um, made me this deal, and then he, and then he uh, passed away, and he couldn't, you know, couldn't couldn't uh, uh, give it to me anyway. So I ended up finishing my license and getting a plane of my own eventually. Yeah, and I sort of fly it out to the farm and I get my little Hilux ute and I drive around and uh, I've got an airstrip there now. So look, it's... So you're living your grandfather's dream. Yeah, that's right. That's, uh, that's bloody cool. I want, to, um, I want to touch on, and it kind of ties into the community piece, but you've been a big advocate for the Condoblin Aero Club and a proud member. What, yep. What's it like? Obviously, you've got your footy clubs, your netball clubs. What... What are the people like that are part of an aero club, and do you guys go flying together? What are the activities, and, and kind of how? What does it mean for your community? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm maybe president of the aero club. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's a good decision or not, but anyway. <laughs> so it's basically a room full of oh, mostly old guys, and a few young blokes coming through. But look, we have a meeting every few months, and we have flying competitions. So 
Uh, look, we'll get the plane out of the shed and we'll each have a turn. You've got to throw a, a bag of flour out the window and try and land it within a target. Uh, that's pretty wild. Uh, like, you know, you, you sort of hang your hand out the window, throw this flour bag out, and we set up a target on the ground and the closest one to the target wins that competition. It's harder than you think. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds dangerous <laughs> you know, you, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, it's a bit hard when over the radio you say, oh, righto, mate, I'm dropping the bomb now. And then you think, oh, gee, I probably should have, shouldn't have said that over the radio. Okay, <laughs> sort of New South Wales wide, you know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, uh, then we do things like, uh, you know, you, you go up and you've got to practice an emergency landing. So you'll uh, not cut the engine, but just put her out to idle and try and land within a specified sort of, distance i guess uh and look we do things like i'll cook a barbecue at at a local event or uh we do a few joy flights and oh look i love doing joy flights around condo and i've done a few a bloke proposed in the plane once that was pretty cool pretty nerve-wracking actually yeah right. uh, what other kind of joy flights are you doing if anybody wants to go anywhere i'll take like i can fly to banks down or or i've flown up to like camel wheel or at the birds or races. I especially like doing the races because you get to join in on all the fun. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, we went out to Lake Air, so we left, I think, Friday morning. We did Birdsville, Lake Air, Broken Hill, and we were back for work Monday morning. Like, you just couldn't do that if you're driving. And we were poking along, you know, we weren't rushing. Yeah, well. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an expensive hobby and it's hard to justify, but. The way I justify it is, look, if I'm driving, um, you know, look, it might cost me a uh, hundred bucks in a plane to go to go 200 k's, and if I'm driving a car, it'll cost me, you know, 30 bucks. But I could get a speeding fine, or I could hit a kangaroo, and there it goes 500 bucks. You know, driving from twenty dollars turns into 500, so it's always a cheaper option to fly because you're not going to hit a roo or get a speeding ticket. <laughs> <laughs> now, what yeah. I, um, I want to ask more about the condo community because it obviously drew you home. Yeah, explain a bit co- uh, about condo to us. Obviously, Shannon Knowles from out that way. Yeah. He's one of your good friends growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> home of Shannon Knowles. God's country, they call it out here. Um, but look, condo is about 3,500 people. Uh, we're on the, the Lachlan River. So the Lachlan River starts a cow and goes down to... Uh, so the Hilson then keeps going. It eventually goes back into the Murrumbidgee, I think, if we get a big enough flow. But look, condos, 3,500 people. There's about five pubs and two clubs and uh, where I guess it's sort of the last thing west until you, yeah, I think it's about 300 k's of Cobar and stuff. But look, it's, it's only a small community, small town. Everybody's pretty proud of what they do here. And we have the condo races in February, if you feel like, having a bit of fun coming out to those sort of late February. Uh, and I'm on the committee for that as well. It's a good day just to ask you. Yeah. Oh, well, Ollie, you'll have to come next year, actually. Yeah, bloody hell. Uh, and look... Are you um? Are you basically the unofficial mayor of Condo? Look, I, I probably disagree with that one, Ollie, but look, if Shannon Noel was out here, he'd be the um, <laughs> the go. But look, I just love the community. It's so... It's simple living. You can... Um, park outside the house you live in and take a minute to get down to the supermarket. No parking inspectors. 
uh, and yeah, they're all pretty. Everyone's pretty happy here, and it's a good community. Yeah. I want to um I want to ask you about your real estate game, and you you've been doing. You mentioned so you started, or you made the tra- the change during the drought, and you're enjoying mm. the, enjoying the job so much that you're probably not ready to go back to the farm yet. Was it just that the opportunity popped up at the right time with real estate, or was it and yeah that it offered an income, or was this somewhere that you thought, oh, I'll go and build a career off the farm uh, doing this? Yeah, look, it it was sort of late 2019, and uh, oh, mid-2019, sorry, and Dad sort of said, well, look, we're thinking about selling all the livestock. Um, you know, there's not really going to be much for us to do in any way to make income. So he said, um, do you want to sort of see what's about in town? And I thought, right, well, I'll give it a go. And I saw this thing in the land. It was get your stopping station agency ticket. And it was a course down in Wagga. Anyway, I went down there and uh, did that. Met some met some awesome people. And and I love seeing now that I'm, I've, I'm seeing that they're in the real estate industry or in the livestock industry and you see them pop up every now and then. You just think, well, that's pretty cool. And I did the initial course with them, you know. Um, so I went down, did that course, and then came back to condo and I was working a couple of weeks. And I got a phone call from uh, my now current boss, Tracy Robertson in Parks. And she said, oh, look, uh, we're doing a thing ray-wide in condo. Do you want to you wanna start selling houses? And I said, oh, I'll give it a go, you know. So I uh, came in and I think the first house I sold was oh, 43000 I'm pretty sure I sold it for. And I thought, oh, gee, this is, I don't know. I thought I'd be selling, you know, million-dollar mansions and all that sort of stuff. But uh, then it, I got on to, what's yeah. What's it like? So selling, yeah, a $43,000 house, I think probably a lot of people are surprised that it nearly still exists. But was that just the the grips of the drought, there's no one looking at condo or was it? A fairly rundown place. Yeah, look, it was not many people looking at that stage, and oh, I guess I just didn't want it. No one really wanted a house in town at that point because there was sort of low confidence and that sort of thing. But look, I think now that house would be worth probably a hundred grand. You know, like it's definitely uh, increased over time. And then when I got into the farms, it was like in the thick of the drought. And we're doing inspections and, you know, I'd be pulling a sheep out of the bog in the dam and I'd get back in the car with these people from, like, uh, you know, down in Victoria or the Gippsland or somewhere like that. And I'd be like, oh, look, mate, it's not always like this. And they'd just shake their head and go home. But, <laughs> yeah, look, I think the best thing that I see as a real estate agent is uh, I get to meet all the new people coming into town and... Back in the drought, nobody really had to sell, which is just a sign of how resilient the community is. You know, all the farmers, uh, they were doing it tough, but none of them had to sell because of the season. Yeah. You know, they were selling if, you know, selling because they're retiring or, um, yeah, like they'd been a deaf in the family or something like that. But, yeah, so that was, that was really good to see. Uh, I think it just shows the quality of the country out here and... Uh, yeah, how strong the people are. Because that was going to be a question I had around, yeah, what what was it like mm. dealing, so yeah, dealing with farmers that were having to walk away, but it, you you didn't have to, you weren't faced with that challenge. 
Look, it wasn't too bad out here. Uh, and I think that just shows that the character of the people and the, the how good condo uh, rural land is. There was the odd one that had to sell to retire. And, you know, they'd say, look, I've been in, on here for 50 years and I'm selling it when it's looking its worst. Uh, and that was purely because of health reasons and things like that. And that was hard, you know, because you knew that it was a good place and they're selling it when it's looking its absolute worst. Yeah. Um, what's um? Yeah. What's the what farming around condo like? Is it is it changing? Are we starting to see more corporates moving in, families buying up, taking taking on more land? What's it? Yeah, the average uh, farm look like now? Yeah, so condo's still relatively, or oh, I think it's undervalued. Uh, a lot of people uh, have come from outside the district and bought up large parcels of land and then stayed here. Uh, places like Orange and Yarrawonga, Holbrook, uh, they've all sort of moved the family up here because it's sort of, it's cheaper country. Uh, like, you know, it might be a tenth of the price, but it's not a tenth of the yield and be half the yield or something like that, you know. So it's a no-brainer if you want to make any money yeah. uh, on on rural land. And I think... There's still a lot of developing going on in condo. Uh, there's there's a little bit of land clearing for cropping and irrigation development happening. Uh, they're talking about increasing the size of the dam at, at Wyangala. So that will make our water more reliable for irrigation. And I think that will, you know, in turn increase the amount of irrigation going on in condo, like cotton's becoming a big thing here. And uh, that just puts so much money into the community and, you know, it requires a lot of workers. So look, it increases the population as well as the, the wealth of the town. Yeah. And look, corporates, like to some degree, are coming here. Um, but most of them will buy and then lease out to a local farmer. Yeah, right. You know, so it's more of a land yeah, put, investment. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, if someone if someone gave you fifty million dollars and said, "Go and invest it in something that's going to make me money," you know, where would you put the fifty million? Uh, what you're telling me, I'd, yeah. I'd come to you, Patty, and we'd put it. Yeah, in yeah, land. yeah. So look, you'd buy <laughs> land. You'd buy rural land. You know, all these super funds and. Uh, you know, uh, all the super funds around that, like they've, they've just got to put everybody's money somewhere that's going to, you know, slowly grow or, or, and they don't know where to put it. You know, you put it in shares, you don't know what's going to happen. You put it in Bitcoin, well, that's up and down. And so they just go and put it into rural land and then they've got the capital gains and they can get, you know, four or 5% return each year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, why wouldn't you? Makes sense. Makes sense. Now I want to uh, I want to turn it to your media personality. <laughs> you've uh, you've managed to make a bit of a name for yourself, and I, I don't reckon it's just amongst your mates either. With uh, with some of your videos, <laughs> tell me is yeah. this is this a stroke of genius, or is it something you were forced to do? <laughs> tell me more about it. Look, it's sort of it's sort of a spare of the moment thing. It's like. Um you know, oh, how can we sell this place or how can we uh, get this out a bit? 
hands. I don't know. I just, uh, you know, you just pull the phone out, start filming, and you got no idea what you're going to say. But <laughs> you always just my rule is just do it in one take. You know, I'm not doing this again. So really, you just right. go one with go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go with the flow, and what happens happens. And um, like, oh yeah. And then I watch it afterwards, and I'm like, oh geez. But I think it's just sort of comes with the job. I think a bit of that. Oh well self-promotion i guess but um no it is it does it make you uncomfortable and, yeah not at the time but then i can't re-watch it like i I can't hear myself or you know watch myself on on, on video or anything like that uh yeah i don't know i don't know like it's yeah i was thinking uh maybe like in the lead up to the, this episode coming out we could um share you Waitoe Lane clearing sale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do that. That's the go. Um, that was a good sale. It was got a lot of people there and that video, yeah. It's famous. And I, I did have a good one. I, I was selling this, I call it the chocolate house, but it's a mud brick house in town uh, in Condo. No one wanted it. And, and I said, well, oh, well, it was on the creek. And I said, well, why doesn't anyone want a little creek block, you know? So I went down there, it was such a hot day. It was like 45 degrees. And I was doing this video next to the creek and I, I got one of the ladies to film it. And I was like, oh, bugger this. And then I just jumped into the creek fully clothed and I had my, my cowboy hat on, went under. And anyway, I think that sort of got a few laughs about. And, did it sell the house? Um, like I ruined my clothes. Yeah, it did actually. I sold, sold the house to this guy from way away, so. Yeah, he said he saw the video and he's like, oh, the creek looked pretty good. So, um, yeah. Look, I think the video is always better than um, uh, photos and stuff. I know it's not always by the book or as it probably should be video, but, um, yeah, look, who cares <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, bloody hell. Now, I've got, uh, I've got one question I ask everyone that comes on, and so I hope you're ready for this. If you're going back to school and, and you get the chance to talk to a bunch of year 10 students and you get to talk to them about kind of the opportunities, not that just you've had, but the opportunities in agriculture today and provide them some life advice. What would be, yeah, what would, what would you say to them if you had that chance? Yeah. So look, I never did it, but I'm killing myself for not doing it. I might even still do it. Uh, like everybody talks about going up North to a big cattle station you know, being a ringer for a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that is definitely something, uh, like I wish, well, I wished I did and all my friends did it. They loved it, you know, and it, I think it made them better people and going up there and then just trying to work overseas as well, just for a little bit of time in, in an agriculture. Um, like I know you did a bit of farming over in Canada and, um, you know, I did a little bit of work in New Zealand on a sheep farm and it was just, so good to see how they do it and you pick up a lot uh, and you take it home with you and it's just stuff that people don't think about in Australia so I just tell everybody to to travel and sort of work while you travel yeah I know everybody it's pretty cliche I eh? just travel when you're young but oh my um, makes so much sense though. yeah yeah and yeah and don't be so wrapped up in going to uni straight away uh, like because no one knows what they want to do, so just just sort of 
have a year off and go up north or something and just poke along. Don't don't rush into any any uni things. Uh, <laughs> it's probably bad advice, but anyway. No, mate, it's good advice, I reckon. Take time, do your uh, grow up slowly. Don't be in a rush. Well, mate, thanks for coming on and and having a chat. It was uh, a good bit of fun. Yeah, no, it just seems like seems like the old days, mate. You're right. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like sitting down at the cafe and having mice come up to us while we're having a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, thanks so much for having me, Ollie. And um, yeah, look, I I uh, look forward to hearing the rest of your podcast. And yeah, you're doing a great job, mate. So keep it up. Well, that's it from us for another week. I hope you enjoyed a bit more of a light-hearted chat this week with Paddy. He's certainly a boy about the community who's throwing his hand at everything that Kandablin has to offer. I'll make sure, and if you check out our social media, at Humans of Agriculture with an underscore, you'll be able to watch a couple of his best videos and highlights. Look after yourselves, and I look forward to seeing you next week.